And Brownie, you're doing a heck of a job. The FEMA director is working 24 hours. From Pacifica Radio's KPFK in sweltering Los Angeles, this is your Bradcast. As heard on 90.7 FM in LA, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM in San Diego, 99.5 FM Ridgecrest in China Lake, 91.7 FM KYAQ on the beautiful Oregon Central Coast and coast to coast and around the globe on KPFK. Dot .org on the Progressive Voices channel on the Netroots Radio Indie Media Weekly FYI Nation Radio or Not Radio Free Brooklyn and 5 days a week on Radio Sputnik I'm Brad Friedman your friendly investigative blogger journalist troublemaker muckraker all around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com thank you for joining us today well, it's been another big week, and uh, of course, a lot of the uh, attention uh, this week is on uh, Katrina and uh, the 10th anniversary commemorations for that uh, horrific flood in uh, in New Orleans when eighteen some 1,800 uh, people were, or more. I don't think we ever got a final t- uh, tally. Uh, did we, Desi Doyen, on the uh, the number of those killed in the Funny flood? you should ask, yeah? because I have been looking ev- everywhere, yeah. and I don't really see a s- consistent uh, official yeah. tally. You know, some people say, oh, it's 1,200 people. Some, oh, no, it's 13. Other people say 15. Uh, the most consistent reports I have seen uh, label it at about 1,800 people. Some people's bodies were never found. Yeah. Some people never checked in. Uh, a lot of it has to do with how you compile it. Um, so ba- basically, uh, it looks like overall, uh, the Hurricane Katrina, the aftermath, about 1,800 people. People are settling on that as the number, I guess. 1,800 it gives you some idea about how well uh, organized the response was, how much this uh, the, the, the government, uh, the Bush administration, the George W. Bush administration at the time actually gave a damn about what was going on. We can tell you sort of firsthand because 10 years ago this week, we happened to be in Crawford, Texas. We were covering the uprising by uh, Cindy Sheehan, whose son Casey Sheehan had been killed in Iraq in an ambush in a truck that he should have never been in. Uh, with with no armor, a lot of people hopefully remember at the time. Uh, Donald Rumsfeld, you go to the war with the army you have, not with the uh, not with the army you want. Uh, and the fact was, he should have never been there on this mission. But that's what we were doing for the first couple of years of the Iraq War. And so, while everyone is sort of focusing on uh, on the tenth anniversary of Katrina, it's also the tenth anniversary of the uprising as I like to refer to it, down in Crawford, Texas, when Cindy Sheehan, first in a ditch 
that uh, she called uh, Camp Casey as uh, she was commemorating her son, uh, decided to camp out essentially with the Veterans for Peace down there until she got an answer for George W. Bush as to what the noble noble cause was that her son had died for just days earlier. Uh, there was a, a bunch of folks from, I think, Ohio, a bunch of troops that were killed, and George W. Bush went out and said, well, they died for a noble cause, and Cindy Sheehan said, well, wait a minute, what noble cause? And uh, she wanted an answer what the hell he was talking about. So we're going to talk a little bit about that because that happened in this very same week that Katrina rolled in. And a lot of people forgot what went on in Crawford, Texas, because really and understandably uh, what happened in New Orleans 10 years ago this week, um, you know, then took over the news cycle. And people forgot that prior to Cindy Sheehan's stand down there, we were living in a country where you did not you did not criticize the president of the United States, not when we are at war, not after 9-11. Well, we happen to be down there. And I'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, Des, remind me to uh, re- re- talk about uh, you know how we got down there, why we went down there okay. in the first place. Um, but we were down there. As the levees were breaking, we were in Crawford, Texas, where the president was hanging out with Carl uh, Rove, who was out there backslapping uh, supporters. And we've got photos at bradblog.com, black backslapping uh, supporters. Great to see you here. And these were people who had come out to protest against Cindy Sheehan's protest against the president. Ten years ago this week, and uh, it ended as that storm came into New Orleans, as Karl Rove was out there just having fun. Not a care in the world as people, some 1,800, were eventually dying from that. Uh, And we covered it on air as we had the the first information from the National Weather Service about how bad this storm could be. So we went digging. We went digging into the archives, into the deep, deep, deep archives uh, 10 years ago to find... uh, to find our broadcast, some of our uh, clips from our broadcast down there in Crawford, Texas. We will share that with you as well. Uh, We will be covering the 10th anniversary of uh, Hurricane Katrina on the Green News Report a little bit later. Uh, Also on the Green News Report, NASA is now warning that uh, three feet, three feet of sea level is now locked in, no matter what we do, no matter what changes we make, no matter how much we move from fossil fuel to renewables, Three feet of sea level rise is now locked in. I'm sure the folks in uh, in New Orleans still recovering from Katrina are not happy to hear that. And I'm sure the folks in Florida who are now uh, staring down the barrel of Hurricane Katrina, uh, Erica. Hurricane Erica, actually Tropical Storm Erica at For this now. time, right? Uh, which may become a hurricane in the next few days. Uh, I'm sure they're delighted to hear that uh, the sea level is going to rise three feet no matter what. <laughs> Uh, and uh, President Obama heading to the Arctic amidst all of this. So a lot going on this week. Uh, we will be getting to all of that and more. Uh, but first, uh, we talked a little bit yesterday uh, on the program, on our last program, about uh, this letter that Bobby Jindal had sent to President Obama in advance of him coming to speak on Thursday 
down in uh, down in New Orleans to mark the uh, 10th anniversary of Hurricane Katrina. And uh, Jindal said, please, but he didn't say please. He said, don't. He said, don't talk about climate change while you're here. That'll just be a distraction. And it's uh, what did he call it? The political agenda of liberal environmental activism, <laughs> which is kind of incredible. Uh, in any event, uh, he, he in this two-page letter that Bobby Jindal, governor of uh, Louisiana and uh, also ran 2016 presidential candidate on the Republican side, uh, he also wrote to, uh, to the president that, quote, New Orleans still bears the scars of the summer of 2005, but since then we have experienced a Louisiana comeback. It has been a revival like no other in America. There are now more people living and working in Louisiana than at any other time in the state's history, earning higher incomes than ever before. A 25-year problem of out-migration has become a boom of in-migration of both people and employers, says Jindal. New Orleans has become a magnet for venture capital investment in its technology and media sectors, And then he went on to say, most importantly, with the New Orleans Recovery School District at its epicenter, our education system has been revolutionized. Charter schools and our scholarship program have given parents previously unthinkable choice and children unprecedented opportunity. That was from the letter from Bobby Jindal to the president of the United States in advance of his speaking in New Orleans on Thursday. On Friday... George W. Bush, some of you may remember him. Uh, he uh, he was also in uh, New Orleans, uh, and he spoke once again. He had spoken uh, a year after the flood, but he spoke at the same school. He spoke again at the new Warren Easton Charter School in New Orleans. He spoke on Friday and praised that conversion that uh, Bobby Jindal apparently was referring to, praised the conversion of the New Orleans public schools into a nearly 100% privately owned charter school system. Here, in case you forgot what he sounded like, is uh, the, uh, (laughs) the former president, George W. Bush. Long before the Great Flood, too many students in this city drifted from grade to grade without ever learning the skills needed for success. Parents lacked choices in the power to intervene. Principals and teachers lacked the authority to chart a more hopeful course. It was a system that stranded more than 60% of the students failing in schools. It was what I called the soft bigotry of low expectations. More than nine in ten public school students in this city now call our charter school home. And you got to ask why. It just didn't happen. Amazing what happened in this city after the storm wiped out the school system. Educational entrepreneurs decided to do something about uh, the devastation and the failure. Now, we're just in a theoretical exercise. It's important for our country to look at New Orleans and realize this is an exercise of implementing a plan which works. That was former President George W. Bush on Friday in New Orleans at the Warren Easton Charter School. Um, (laughs) uh, Well, in fact, according to uh, Colleen Kimmett at In These Times, test scores have improved in New Orleans. 
That's according to two major reports that uh, she writes about that examine academic achievement over the past nine years on Katrina's 10th anniversary. The New Orleans Recovery School District is being held up as a national model. The graduation rate has risen from 56% to 73%. Last year, 63% of students in grades 3 to 8 scored basic or above on standardized tests. That's up from 33%. So uh, is what George W. Bush and Bobby Jindal uh, say is true? And do these uh, test scores improving in Katrina? Is this a success story for charter schools? Is any of it true? Well, a three-month investigation uh, from the uh, In These Times magazine uh, by uh, Colleen Kimmett suggests that the wholesale charterization of the public schools in New Orleans has actually been a failure. Joining us now to talk about that, freelance journalist Colleen Kimmett, welcome to the broadcast, Colleen. Thank you. Thanks. It's great to be here. Uh, glad to have you here. Okay, before we get into whether this uh, system worked or didn't, can you explain for uh, people who may not understand exactly what charter schools are? They're not exactly private schools, and they're not exactly public schools either, correct? That's right. And in Louisiana and many other states, charter schools have to be run by a nonprofit board. Um, they receive public tax, tax dollars, they receive uh, government and philanthropic grants, mm -hmm. and they, in the recovery school district, are all open enrollment. So that means anyone can go. There's no admissions requirement. So to a parent, basically, it's a public school. It's a free mm -hmm. school that has no admissions requirements. Um, unlike a traditional school, it's basically entirely autonomous. So the board of the charter can decide how long the school year is, how long the school days are, who the teachers are, and what the what what the learning style of the school is as well. So they don't have to uh, meet the requirements of of a public school district. They're they're funded like a public school, but. The pub, where the public school district may have, uh, uh, well, teachers' unions and uh, certain standards, uh, specific standards that uh, they say must be met and that, in fact, the school district oversees. Now you've got a private corporation essentially running these schools with public money, correct? Yeah, non nonprofit corporations, that's correct. And there are some, basically the recovery school district acts more like a regulator. So are there, there are some rules that apply across the board, but they're mm -hmm. basically free to run the school how they want. And this all happened after the flood. Give us an idea of the, the numbers and the way that uh, the, the, the system changed in New Orleans after the flood. Uh, how many schools are we talking about? Uh, because, boy, uh, Jindal and Bush are sure singing the praises of what happened down there in New Orleans. So was it a complete takeover by this uh, recovery school district, which is, I guess, all essentially charter schools? Yeah, it was a near complete takeover. And although the recovery school district was created by the state in 2003, it only had one school before Katrina. Then there was this huge storm. The public school district was in dire financial straits. And there was a new piece of legislation passed that basically broadened the pool of, of schools, mm -hmm. um, 
economically unacceptable schools that could be taken over by the recovery school district. So we're talking 107 out of about 120 schools in New Orleans. Okay, and so they're taken over, but uh, test scores are way up. Uh, attendance is uh, uh, way up, uh, according to the or graduation rates, I should say, is way up. Test scores are way up. Uh, sounds good, Colleen Kimmett. What's, what's the problem? Well, yeah, I mean, test scores are up, graduation rates are up. Um, I mean, but also part of this transformation has also resulted in two lawsuits filed by citizens for basically students not getting their rights. Also, fraud is not uncommon in this system. Fraud, you say? Yeah, there was a report released this year detailing um, at least 10 cases of of fraud in the system. Mm -hmm. Another big report released this year... um, Is that that fraud by by these uh, private nonprofit companies that are are running these school systems? Exactly. For example, a recent one at an elementary school, the administrators took funding for special needs students, mm-hmm. but weren't providing those services. You write in your report that uh, the Louisiana charter school students performed worse on reading and math tests than their public school counterparts by enormous margins, two to three uh, standard deviations uh, after researchers you know, controlled for factors like race, ethnicity, and, and poverty. Uh, the, the gap between charter and public school performance in Louisiana was the largest of any state in the country, and Louisiana has some of the worst uh, scores in the country. Is the success, the supposed success of these charter schools, uh, is, is it overstated? Is it a matter of uh, manipulating the statistics? What, what does the public seem to be missing, if anything, according to your investigation? To be honest, I think what the public is missing is that this obsession with test scores has a cost. That it's, you know, if what I heard from community members, students, and parents when I was in New Orleans Mm -hmm. is that they felt like they had lost schools as community assets. Mm. They felt like they had no say in the types of, of learning systems that were being implemented. And particularly in low-income minority communities like uh, New Orleans, we see education take a a no-excuses model. And these are the types of schools that are expanding most rapidly in New Orleans. You you referred to no ex the the no excuses approach. Talk a little bit about that. You you cite one. Uh a uh, group here that's involved in the RSD uh, called the Collegiate Academies, one of several growing charter networks in New Orleans, modeled on what's often referred to as the no excuses approach. What exactly is that no excuses approach? Well, it's characterized by longer school days and longer school years, frequent testing and um, posting of grades in the classroom mm-hmm. and in the hallways so students can see how they're doing compared to everyone else. The uh, systems of demerits, Mm -hmm. so that relatively minor infractions stack up against students until they get a detention or a suspension. You you write that the uh, uh, Psy Academy suspended 58% of its students 
uh, and that uh, the two charters opened on uh, this uh, former uh, Carver campus, Carver Prep and Carver Collegiate, suspended 61 to 69 percent of their students, respectively. So does this explain uh, the higher graduation rate? If you just uh, suspend these people or toss them out, uh, might that explain the, uh, the differences in the numbers? Well, there are certainly are researchers who are asking those questions and raising concerns about the fact that because charter schools um, need to be audited for this information, it, it's not always readily available. And so it is possible that students are slipping through the cracks. There's also been a lot of turmoil within the system over the past 10 years because it's don't achieve academic targets, they get closed down. And um, mm. that's happened at least 10 times uh, that I'm aware of. So that means the teachers find new jobs, the students have to find new schools. And so there's, there's concerns that in those kinds of um, transitions, students can get lost as well. And I know a lot of uh, teachers left after the flood. Uh, you write and you report it in these times in a school system with an 87 percent African-American student body. Parents and students are challenging the change in the demographics of the teaching force. It is now only 54 percent African-American. It is down from 73 uh, percent African-American, uh, uh, the teaching force prior to uh, Hurricane Katrina. And you also cite a a key point from uh, Naomi Klein and her book, her 2007 book, The Shock Doctrine, uh, in sharp contrast to the glacial pace with which the levees were repaired and the electricity grid brought back online after the flood, the auctioning off of New Orleans school system took place with military speed and precision. She uh, holds this up as a prime example of, quote, disaster capitalism orchestrated raids on the public sphere in the wake of catastrophic events combined with the treatment of disasters as exciting market opportunities. Uh, it's an amazing report, uh, Colleen, and uh, folks can go on over to inthesetimes.com to read it uh, if you'd like a sort of a counterbalance to a lot of the, well, to the impression that uh, folks like George W. Bush and Bobby Jindal are putting out there uh, uh, this week uh, on the 10th anniversary of Hurricane Katrina. Uh, we get to hear in your report from a lot of uh, teachers, uh, students, administrators, and so forth about those concerns to help us uh, get a slightly more balanced uh, outlook on what happened after Katrina. Colleen, really appreciate your time with us today and uh, appreciate your investigative report over at In These Times. Thank you, and, and thanks for the opportunity to talk about it. And thanks also to the Fund for Investigative Journalism for supporting my work. Smartly done. Uh, my thanks to them as well. Thanks, Colleen. Okay, bye-bye. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and we will be back with more broadcast Remembrances of Katrina and Remembrances of Cindy Sheehan's Uprising in Crawford, Texas. Ten years ago this week, we were there. Stay tuned. This is your broadcast. Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free Bradcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. 
You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us out today. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com here with you. Um, Ten years after not just Hurricane Katrina rolled into New Orleans, but uh, Hurricane Cindy Sheehan rolled into, uh, rolled into Crawford, Texas. And we happened to be there at the time uh, covering it. Cindy Sheehan, of course, is the uh, peace activist, the anti-war activist, the gold star mother. Uh, who stood up and demanded a meeting with President George W. Bush, or at least tried to. She wondered what that noble cause was that George W. Bush had said her son had died for. Actually, it wasn't. he wasn't speaking about her son. He was talking about uh, eight, I believe it was eight Marines uh, who had been killed uh, just days earlier. And he said they had died for a noble cause. And uh, Cindy Sheehan's son, Casey Sheehan, he had been killed uh, earlier. He had been killed in uh, in 2004, I believe it was. And uh, in August of 2005, after George W. Bush made his comments, uh, she wanted to know, what is this noble cause? And she made her stand, and it attracted the attention of not just the country, but frankly, the world and thousands and thousands of people. Now, I happened to be at the time I was I was camping in the mountains and I made the horrible mistake of turning on a radio. I had one of these old crank radios that, you know, crank it up, doesn't require electricity. And I heard Rush Limbaugh talking about Cindy Sheehan. And I knew who Cindy Sheehan was because I had interview, as I like to say, I interviewed Cindy Sheehan before she became Cindy Sheehan. She had uh, testified a few weeks earlier at, uh, at a hearing in the basement of the U.S. Capitol held by John Conyers and others looking into the lead-up to the Iraq War at the time. And the Republicans who were controlling the U.S. House would not even allow John Conyers uh, and the Democrats a meeting room in which to have oversight about uh, what happened to lead us into the Iraq War. So the Democrats had to open up a, a, a hearing room in the basement. It was pretty much a broom closet that they had to open up and have a hearing to discuss why we went to war. The false reasons, frankly, that we went to war. And Cindy Sheehan was one of the people who who had testified uh, in those basement hearings. So I knew who she was. And so when I heard Rush Limbaugh going on the air and saying all, all kinds of just terrible things about her, that she was a Democratic operative, that she was, uh, you know, that she was supporting Al Qaeda that how dare she speak up against George W. Bush, because it was at a time 
when nobody, when you just were not allowed to speak out against the president of the United States. Anyone who did, it was huge headlines when that happened. Because, after all, we were at war. Never mind the fact that, you know, now we're still at war all over the world. But apparently that idea about uh, criticizing the president, that doesn't hold when it's a Democratic president in the White House. But back then, it was a Republican president in the White House, and he was not to be criticized. And so instead, they went after Cindy Sheehan, and they went after her hard. And that was a long, hot summer, but it represented, uh, I, I think, a turning point in the Bush presidency, from the time when you weren't supposed to criticize him to a time when everybody criticized him, criticized him when it, his failures were just laid bare. And it was, in part, Cindy Sheehan down there in, uh, in Crawford, Texas, in August of 2005, late August, a sweltering late August, just like this August. But it was Cindy Sheehan, and then, if there was any doubt, if there was any doubt about George W. Bush's incompetence, that was all wiped away as, as Katrina uh, rolled ashore down on the Gulf Coast and into New Orleans, where 1,800 people, or that's our best guess, were killed uh, this week. So I was up there. As I said, I was camping. I heard Rush Limbaugh and I said, oh, man, I got to get down to Crawford, Texas. I got to tell the truth about what is actually going on. And Desi, I remember at the time you said, how are we going to get on the air? Yeah, <laughs> Des, there's Desi no Goyen. that's a field. That's a that's the middle of the rural countryside out in Texas. Yeah, how are we going to do it? Middle of a cow pasture. How are we going to do it? That was before ubiquitous Internet and 4G and everything else. And I said, well, I don't know. We were camping up in uh, northern uh, Nevada. Nevada, Nevada. Yeah, uh, I don't know. But we've got about. 20 something hour drive down there to figure it out on the way and we were eventually we got down there and uh our, our friend Odie mcclay he wasn't a friend at the time we didn't know him he was from the pacifica station down in houston kpft he said i don't know how to get you on the air either but if there's uh, any shred of internet we'll try to do it i'll meet you there and he met us there at camp casey uh and uh where, where the veterans for peace who were down there supporting cindy sheehan uh, where they had figured out how somehow to rig uh, internet in the middle of this uh, cow pasture. When we say cow pasture, literally, literally a cow pasture, right yeah. next to a farm to market road, yeah. which is you know only listed by a number. That's how far out of town it was. And they had set up this tent, this huge tent. Originally, Cindy Sheehan had camped in the gutter on the side of the road, and then she was moved out of there by George W. Bush's uh, pals in the uh, Crawford police. Uh, and someone down there, a property owner, instead of uh, tossing her out of town, property owner said, "Well, you can come do it. Uh, <clears throat> come do it here at the, on, on this corner of my of my ranch." And she did, and it got a lot of coverage, of course, at the time uh, from the major cable networks, whoever they were at the time. Pretty much CNN, I think, was just about it. I can't remember if Fox News was. was they Fox eventually News there. came down. Yes, but but they covered it. But they would do it, you know, quick hits. They covered it at the top of the hour or whatever. We were down there talking to the people on the ground, talking to uh, Cindy Sheehan, interviewing people who had come from all over the country, frankly, both uh, to support Cindy Sheehan and to protest Cindy Sheehan. And I think we did about 50 hours of, uh, of coverage from on the ground in Camp Casey at the time. And Desi, I know you've been digging around in the archives this week. 
uh, to find some of that coverage. Uh, and I don't know how we got on the air, but we did. And here was, uh, uh, I think you pulled a, a, bit, a bit of a rant of, of me. And before we get to the, uh, to the Katrina stuff that happened down there, a bit of a, a rant from me talking about Yes, this was after, uh, we, you know, you had heard Rush Limbaugh originally attacking her. Yeah. And then as the protests grew, the anti-war protests grew and more people came down there and spoke out about their feelings about the war. Rush Limbaugh at the time took the opportunity to really smear Cindy Sheehan as much as he could every single day on his program. And and this, this is what you had to say in response. A bit of a response to my good friend Rush Limbaugh from uh, down in Crawford, Texas, 10 years ago this week. The only broadcast organization to be down here on the ground, live, every day, getting out the truth from the ground at Camp Casey, at the Crawford Peace House. And I can tell you, the folks that I'm talking to, the Gold Star mothers that I'm talking to, have, who have given their, the lives of their children, the vets, the troops who are out here who have given their uh, lives to fight for this country for your war you're going to question the patriotism of these people are you kidding me now you may disagree with cindy sheehan that's fine but when you start questioning the patriotism of the people who are brave enough to come down here put their lives aside and stand with cindy sheehan in the hundred plus degrees heat because they want to simply know what the hell is the noble cause that you have sent their sons and daughters to fight and die for you call it democracy and freedom fine sir but that's not what you called it three years ago three years ago when you uh, invoked the war powers act when you asked congress to invoke the war powers act you said they needed to do so because they had to uh, fight back at Saddam because Saddam Hussein was involved with Al-Qaeda and because Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction. Well, sir, the 9-11 Commission report came out and showed that Saddam was not involved with 9-11. The Charles Dulfer report came out and showed that Saddam did not have WMD. Now, I've spoken with some Bush supporters out here who are still insisting that Saddam had WMD. Of course they were. And there are still, uh, that was, I'm sorry, that was me in Crawford, Texas, on the ground at uh, the Cindy Sheehan uprising uh, back in 2005, 10 years ago, this uh, this weekend, actually. Um, thanks for pulling that, Des. Boy, you could tell how hot it was just by hearing my voice, actually. It was so <laughs> hot. It was literally, I remember. 100, 100 degrees in the shade. Yeah, 110 degrees. I know you say 100. I remember. Well, that was it, in the shade. <laughs> in the shade. That's how hot it was down there. And I took the thermometer out to the cow pasture. And it was like a, the a Woodstock, frankly, for a generation of Americans who had. Uh, been sick and tired of you know being told that George W. Bush is our great leader, and they were finally able to stay uh, to stand up. And people came from all over, and we interviewed Joan Baez. And she Martin sang every Sh night. She sang. She did private concerts down there, not private, but uh, concerts for the people who were there. Uh, Martin Sheen was there. All kinds of people came through there. Um, it was remarkable to be there, and it made the difference. And I believe it was the turning point. Even had Hurricane Katrina not blown in. Uh, everything had changed after that. And by the way, we, we wanted to have uh, Cindy on the show today. She has a very ill family member that she is uh, taking care of. She was actually going to be on a plane 
uh, flying out there to uh, to take care of her. So our best wishes to uh, to Cindy Sheehan and to her uh, to her sister. Uh, so she was not able to be here. But looking back and, and looking at what, you know, Cindy has done since the books she's written, it, it's hysterical to me that they were saying that Cindy Sheehan is a, a stooge of the Democrats. I mean, she has continued to fight for peace and freedom. She has been arrested at the White House protesting uh, Barack Obama. I think her, her newest book is something like The Obama Files, uh, the award-winning war criminal. So, you know, the idea that she was out there somehow working for Democrats instead of standing up for peace and standing up for the right thing and standing up against the lies of George W. Bush is as appalling today as it was then. It, it, it just it, it was disgusting. Uh, and it was disgusting hearing uh, Rush Limbaugh attack her the way he did and uh, and everyone on the right. You know, and it was equally disgusting uh, seeing what happened in the days after uh, Katrina came ashore and after the levees were breached in in uh, New Orleans, because we were still in Crawford. George W. Bush was still in Crawford at his ranch on vacation as people were dying in New Orleans. But before that happened, we got a notice somehow. As I said, somehow we were able to stay on the uh, we, we were able to get Internet at the time. And people were picking us up from all over Air America and uh, Pacifica Radio. Uh, actually, I think it was Air America uh, said, how the hell are you on the air down there, Brad, in the middle of that cow pasture? I said, uh, you know what? Come down and find out. And you should be broadcasting here, Air America. That was the progressive station that, uh, you know should have been there around the clock and eventually they did and we ended with our up help. Uh, yes with our help and we <laughs> ended up uh, simulcasting uh, with them um in any event somehow we had internet we had huge listenership we were on a, a whole bunch of stations and networks all over the country because people were hungry to know what was actually going on and uh at some point as the protests were wrapping up, because it was the end, supposed to be the end of George W. Bush's vacation, at some point I got an email from someone warning about this hurricane, Hurricane Katrina, that was heading towards New Orleans. And we all knew that it was obviously it was coming. It took days to get there. But we didn't understand the size uh, of this hurricane, just how bad it was going to be. And when I got this message from the national weather that somebody had forwarded me, uh, from the National Weather Service, I didn't even want to read it on air because I thought it was a hoax. And we ended up, we went to a break, and I was able to go to the National Weather Service and confirm that it was uh, true. This is the moment uh, that we went on air with this. Still today, I've never seen anything like this from the National Weather Service. Uh, this warning about Katrina as I was actually trying to downplay it uh, a little bit on the air because it seemed so extreme at the time. Ten years ago, this weekend, in Crawford, Texas, uh, from the Camp Casey, here is our, our warning about uh, Hurricane Katrina coming ashore. But this is what's really scary. When I got this, uh, and, oh, shoot, forgive me, uh, whoever it was who gave it to me originally, Fancy Pants Elitist, I think, was the first one who sent it to us here from the uh, blog at bradblog.com. Um, 
and I didn't believe that this could be true. It's actually from the National Weather Service. A most powerful hurricane with unprecedented strength, Jeez. rivaling the intensity of Hurricane Camille of 69. Oh, my. Most of the area will be uninhabitable for weeks, perhaps longer. At least one half of well-constructed homes will have roof and wall failure. All gabled roofs will fail, leaving those homes severely damaged or destroyed. The majority of industrial buildings, the majority of industrial buildings will become non-functional. Partial to complete wall and roof failure is expected. All wood-framed, low-rising apartment buildings will be destroyed. Oh, my. Concrete block, low-rise apartments will sustain major damage, including some wall and roof failure. High-rise office and apartment buildings will sway dangerously, a few to the point of total collapse. Oh. All windows will be blown out. Uh, I'm, I'm you mean if, if it's a five? No, no it, it is, is currently it's happening a five. Now. Oh and uh, we'll try to find out when. Have you been to expected. New Orleans? No, I it's was born subterranean. there. Whoa. Well, it's not subterranean. The water table's really high, so it's basically there's certain parts of it that are actually below sea level, mm-hmm. and so whenever there's a storm, it floods quite a wow. bit. And you can see when you're in New Orleans in certain parts of the city, they actually bury everyone in what do you? I don't. Know, I forget the name. What the word? In crypts, crypts oh. that are above the street. Wow. That was, uh, boy, prophetic, Desi Doyen. That was yeah. was you talking about uh, the the sea level the and topography. how low it was. Yeah, that was with uh, who is that? Alaska, Alaska girl, girl. Uh, 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 Karen Turpening. Ah, Karen Turpening, a, f- a photographer who had come down there, uh, who happened just happened from- to be on the air with us when when that uh, she came from Alaska. Most of the area will be uninhabitable. All apartments will be destroyed. And I was really I hearing it again. I was trying to downplay it because I, I didn't want to cause a panic. And uh, but, uh, you know, because I thought surely someone at the National Weather Service must have been overstating what was to come. And they were not. And they were not. Uh, indeed. Um, and as we know, uh, things just uh, well, the next day we had actually it was our last day on the air was was our last day. We thought that. Like the, much of the country, we thought a bullet had been dodged. Uh, the storm had weakened as it came ashore, but that was before the levees broke. And at the very same time, there were supporters out there, uh, actually opponents of Cindy Sheehan, uh, who had been protesting there for weeks, protesting Cindy Sheehan's protest. And I remember Carl Rove came out in a white pickup truck because he had been there, of course, with the president. And he was out there backslapping and thanking these anti-Cindy Sheehan supporters uh, on the road. Uh, again, we've got pictures over at bradblog.com. But he was, uh, you know, had, just having the time of his life. And, of course, I didn't know that the levees had breached by then. But, in fact, they had been breached by then. And George W. Bush's top political advisor, top advisor, was out there just laughing and having fun and having a great time as people were uh, dying in the streets of of New Orleans. And uh, after we left, I remember one of the first things, and we ran this also at at Brad Blog, David Edwards, uh, who's now over at Raw Story, but he was our video guy, and he ran this remarkable interview with Jefferson... uh, Jefferson Parish President Aaron Broussard on Meet the Press. 
just days after all of this had happened. And uh, it's one of the clips that I, I haven't seen as people have been talking about uh, Katrina over the past week. But uh, it was remarkable. And uh, here's a clip from that Meet the Press, the very beginning of September 2005, 10 years ago this week. But I want to thank Governor Blanco for all she's done and all her leadership. She sent in the National Guard. I just repaired a breach on my side of the 17th Street Canal that the Secretary didn't foresee, a 300-foot breach. I just completed it yesterday with convoys of National Guard and, and local parish workers and levy board people. It took us two and a half days working 24-7. I just closed it. Right. I'm telling you. Most importantly, I want to thank my public employees that uh, have worked 24-7, that burn out, the doctors, the nurses. And I want to give you one last story, and I'll shut up and let you tell me whatever you want to tell me. The guy who runs this building I'm in, emergency management, he's responsible for everything. His mother was trapped in St. Bernard Nursing Home, and every day she called him and said, Are you coming, son? Is somebody coming? And she said, Yeah, Mama, somebody's coming to get you. Somebody's coming to get you on Tuesday. Somebody's coming to get you on Wednesday. Somebody's coming to get you on Thursday. Somebody's coming to get you on Friday. And she drowned it Friday night. She drowned it Friday night. Mr. President. Nobody's coming to get us. Nobody's coming to get us. The secretary has promised. Everybody's promised. They've had press conferences. I'm sick of the press conferences. For God's sakes, shut up and send to somebody. <laughs> that was uh, Jefferson Parish President Aaron Broussard back in uh, September. Very beginning of September in 2005, 10 years ago this week. Um, man, uh, and we were in Crawford with George W. Bush, uh, who clearly... Well, I, you know, he loves to say we were unprepared. We had no idea, no idea the levees would break. Uh, is that true? This no, doing? that's not true. They knew. They had warnings. This had been... Uh, Numerous uh, warnings over many years that the levees were not being kept up properly, that the levees were not properly designed, the levee, levees were not properly constructed or maintained. You know, it's all been found in the years since that the Army Corps of Engineers failed and, uh, you know, it just, it's, it's, this is, that's the, what happened. I have no words, really. That, that always, I, yeah, no words. And it was just incredible to see uh, George W. Bush down there today in Crawford, uh, not in Crawford, in New Orleans, uh, celebrating uh, how, how far they've come. And what a great success their newly privatized uh, school system is now that, uh, the great flood came in and completely wiped out the old one. And hey, isn't that great? Now it's all replaced by corporations. Anyway, ten years ago, uh, ten years ago this week, and I, I, you know, I just wanted to remind people about what Cindy Sheehan did that same week, that same month, because a lot of it just got lost, understandably, with Hurricane Katrina. But to me. Frankly, she's an American hero. I don't care what you think about her. I, I, I saw firsthand the courage that she needed to stand up down there to the George W. Bush machine and say this is wrong. This is just wrong. We have been lied to. We were lied into war. And everything since then uh, has 
shown that she was right. A quick break, and we'll, we'll be back with the Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is your broadcast. <laughs> How about your son? How about your daughter? How come it's always poor folk who get shuffled off to slaughter? If you're so gung-ho, why don't you just go? In August of 05, a mighty voice did rise. Lost her precious son And it can't be undone She went to see the king A downright simple thing She thought she'd tell him of The death of a mother's love How about your son? How about your daughter? How come it's always poor folk who get shuffled off to slaughter? If you're so gung-ho, why don't you just go and send us back our sons and our daughters? Send us back our sons and our daughters. Welcome back to the Bradcast. 10th uh, anniversary of both Hurricane Katrina and Cindy Sheehan's uh, Camp Casey uprising, her demand to meet the president and ask what was the noble's cause for which her son died. That was Jesse Dian, uh, who on, on our broadcast 10 years ago from Camp Casey. Um, and this was actually the day after Hurricane Katrina had come ashore. It was our last day. And that was a song that he wrote, Jesse Dine, for uh, Cindy Sheehan. Uh, and I remember as he was singing at uh, the winds from Hurricane Katrina, because we were in Crawford, Texas, not far away, came blowing in in the middle of, of him uh, performing this uh, song. And yeah. all the veterans came up and they held up trash can lids blankets. and blankets and co- and to try to keep the, the, the wind to off. Shield him, him from the wind. So he could continue the song. Just uh, amazing. Uh, Ten years later. Uh, anyway, uh, well, uh, <laughs> yeah, what what led to all of this? Not the war, but uh, the Katrina. Well, global warming, as you discuss, uh, Desi Doyen, in our latest Green News Report. It is just mind-boggling to watch this happening. A lot of flooding all over the city. Buildings have collapsed. There are reports from New Orleans of uh, people trapped in buildings, but there could be far worse still to come. The 10th anniversary of Hurricane Katrina. And it's very likely to get worse in the future. NASA warns at least three feet of sea level rise now locked in. Obama heads to the Arctic to highlight global warming. Plus... It's got so many benefits and so little downside. Why would you not do that? Switching to clean energy will cost less than fossil fuels in the long run, says Citibank. All of those stories and more straight ahead from bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. There is no 
perfect source of energy. Every one of them has a downside. Solar is great, but solar takes huge amounts of water. Oh, Carly Fiorina, you are darling. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, I remember it like it was yesterday, unfortunately, the day that Hurricane Katrina came ashore 10 years ago this week. Yes, Hurricane Katrina was the powerful hurricane that wrought devastation across much of the Gulf Coast, but drowned the city of New Orleans. Back in 2005, we were broadcasting live from the anti-war protests at the Bush Ranch in Crawford, Texas, when the frightening National Weather Service alert came across the wires. It's actually from the National Weather Service, a most powerful hurricane with unprecedented strength, rivaling the intensity of Hurricane Camille of 69. Most of the area will be uninhabitable for weeks. Katrina's ferocity was the first that many in the public had ever heard of global warming. But the real cause of the devastation was the oil and gas industry's decades-long destruction of Louisiana's storm-buffering wetlands, plus the shoddy levee system built by the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers to hold back the ocean, created the conditions that allowed Katrina's storm surge to flood the city, killing an estimated 1,800 people. Hurricane Katrina changed the face of of New Orleans forever. The costliest hurricane yet in the U.S. Its heartbreaking aftermath exposed our nation's deep vulnerability to disasters. Resilience to the accelerating impacts of global warming is also the core message of what the White House is labeling President Obama's climate change tour. After skewering the oil industry for its anti-free market efforts to kill clean energy in Nevada and then commemorating Katrina's devastation in New Orleans, Obama goes to the Arctic Circle, the first sitting American president to do so. The goal of the trip is to help Americans and the corporate news media confront the fact fact that climate change is not some distant threat, but is impacting Americans right now. You know, it'd be a hell of a lot easier for the president to do that had he just not given the final approval to shell oil to drill in that very same Arctic. Obama will be visiting coastal villages in Alaska that are having to relocate away from the surging ocean, even while the permafrost melts beneath them. Now, some impacts are unavoidable. NASA confirms this week that sea level rise continues to accelerate thanks to global warming. Moreover, in this study, they say, quote, it is pretty certain we're locked in to at least three feet of sea level rise and probably more. In other words, they say it's not a question of if, but when. Well, when? Do they give a timeline for any of this? They don't. They say they don't have the data yet to be able to estimate when this will all happen. They said it could be 100 years. It could be less. Meanwhile, a new economic report finds that the cost of moving to clean energy would be cheaper than our current fossil fuel-based economy. The detailed economic analysis from banking giant Citigroup finds that over the next 30 years, the cost of transitioning to clean energy is about the same as what the world would have spent on fossil fuels anyway over the same period of time. Oh, those lefty tree huggers at Citibank. And they say we would save billions, if not trillions of dollars, avoiding the risk of disasters from global warming impacts. On the broadcast this week, environmental journalist David Roberts of Vox.com said the Citigroup researchers were so stunned by their results, they concluded their report with a simple question. Do you do the same thing you're doing at enormous risk? 
or do you take this alternative route, which costs about the same and avoids this enormous risk? They basically say, like, why would you not do this? Like, it's, it's got so many benefits and so little downside. Why would you not do that? Why would you not do that? Hey, Citibank, have you met what has become of the U.S. Congress? For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. You can download our reports anytime via iTunes. Find us and follow us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. And this has been your Green News Report. Do you know what it means to miss New Orleans and miss it each night and day? I know I'm not wrong. The feeling's getting stronger the longer I stay. Indeed. Well, my thanks to you, Desi Doyen, our producer, for digging back into the uh, archives for today's uh, program 10 years ago. Yeah, it's and, a lot to cover. Uh, yeah, and a great uh, Green News report there. Very important one. So uh, thank you, uh, Desi Doyen, our producer. Thanks to our booking goddess, Cynthia Cohn. Thanks to Colleen Kimmett of InTheseTimes.com. And uh, as long as I'm at it, my thanks to Cindy Sheehan and Jesse Dyan. Uh, anything else, Des? Uh, no, I that's think it. that's, yeah. That's All right. Uh, my, uh, you can find, if you missed any portion of today's uh, broadcast, you can download it all at bradblog.com or over at iTunes, where we hope you'll subscribe for free and give us a good review while you're there to help, uh, help other folks find the broadcast a little bit easier. Drop me email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And of course, find and follow me on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Brad blog. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. 